When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey guys, it's Albert. We got a great show coming for you this week. We kick things off with the takeaways. We've got a great guest in to talk about next year's crop of quarterbacks coming in the draft. Fabs is in for DFS and fantasy picks. And as always, we wrap things up with all of your questions in the six pack. Let's go. All right, welcome in. Week nine's in the books. Week 10 is here. It's the Albert Breer Show. I want to kick things off this week by giving a big shout out to my buddy Gresh. Gresh has been such a big part of the show in different iterations. He was a huge part of it back when we lost Emily Kaplan to ESPN. Um, was a great co-host for me over a period of time there where we were on our own feed. Lou Pellegrino was our producer. He came back and helped us relaunch the Albert Breer show. We're sort of changing some things around and tightening the show up a little bit. And unfortunately, the casualty of that is having the regular co-host in for the takeaways. And uh, I just would say this, like, I, I, there's nobody I enjoy talking football with more than Gresh. He played the game at a very high level. Um, and we are going to continue our football talk, me and him, on WPRO in Providence every Thursday uh, night. You can catch us there if you're in the area. If not, you can check out the podcast that they put out there that has my, my, uh, my spot there. Um, and hopefully, hopefully we, me and Gresh have talked about a few other projects we're working on. So hopefully we'll have something else to give you there too. But big shout out to Gresh for all the contributions that he's made to the show. All right, we'll jump into the takeaways now for week nine. My first takeaway, the Miami Dolphins look like they're going places now. And I just, you look at sort of the structure of the building, how they've sort of worked everything out, like how... Chris Greer on the personnel side, Brian Flores on the coaching side have sort of created this vision for the for the group and you can see it at every level now. That's the amazing thing about it, right? Like so you look at how are the rookies playing? Well, you've got three rookies that have played major snaps on the offensive line, which is fixing a very serious deficiency that you had going into this year. How are the free agent signings doing? Well, Byron Jones and Kyle Van Noy are part of a very, very good defense. You've got some discount guys, some older guys like Emmanuel Ogba and Shaq Lawson that have come in and helped. And then you look at the resources going forward. They got the Texans first and second round picks next year. And those figure to be pretty high picks based on where the Texans are in the standings. So they've got all of that going on. And now it looks like they've got the quarterback. How Tua played on air against Arizona, to me, it was totally different than the debut against the Rams where you had a defensive touchdown, you had a special teams touchdown, you had two other turnovers that set up offensive touchdowns. Tua had to, at points, put the Dolphins on his back. The offense went through injuries. Preston Williams went down. Durham Smythe went down. And Tua kicked ass. (laughs) Like, Tua looked great throughout. And I think one of the big things that I'd take away from just watching him and talking to some people in the building afterwards. The instincts that you saw at Alabama were there. The feel for the game that you saw at Alabama was there. And I'll give you three words from somebody inside the building um, that I was communicating with after the game. Just said, he's a winner. You don't often see coaches, staffers, you don't often see those people talking about a rookie making a second start that way. That tool magic, I think, is there in Miami. Takeaway number two, the Saints have the best roster in football. That's my second takeaway from week nine. And I felt this way for a while. I want to drive this point home. It's not just about 38-3 to over Tampa, although that accentuated it. It's about how the Saints have built their team. And I give you guys this story. Go back to 2017. It's spring. I am at their OTAs, um, and I'm, I look out on the field, and I see what I think is maybe the worst roster in football. In fact, I, I, I may have said it somewhere in a podcast. I may have written it, uh, but it really looked like the organization had eroded. The group that they'd won Super Bowls with was, for the most part, gone, um, and they had cap issues. They had older players filling in, like Adrian Peterson. Um, it's just there was like a lot wrong there. How do you fix it? Here's how you fix it. In the spring of 2017, they drafted, in order, Marshawn Lattimore, 
Ryan Ramshek, Marcus Williams, Alvin Kamara, Trey Hendrickson, Alex Anzalone. That's six hits in a row. That is unheard of. And those guys are now fourth-year players. You have other players they've drafted, like David Oniamata, like Marcus Davenport, like Traquan Smith. It's like that that roster looks completely different now because of how well they've drafted. I think Jeff Ireland, the ex-Dolphins GM, deserves a lot of credit for it. And so, you know, while we've focused a lot on the dance between Drew Brees and Taysom Hill and, you know, like... I just think like you have to when when you take a cold hard look at how the Saints are where they are, take your eye off the ball and look at the way that they have put that thing together. I think the Saints deserve a ton of credit, and it's one of the reasons why in our picks this week, I picked the New Orleans Saints to go to the Super Bowl. Takeaway number three: This is going to have to do with the business of football, but I'm going to give you guys three names: Christian McCaffrey, George Kittle, Ronnie Stanley. All three of those guys have had major injury problems this year. Okay. Well, a lot of times we talk about how, you know, players should take the team to the very end of the contract. Players should make sure they're maximizing their leverage. These guys did good contracts. And that's, this isn't about that. Christian McCaffrey got a four year, $64 million deal. George Kittle got a five year, $75 million deal. Ronnie Stanley got a five year, $97.5 million deal. All those deals have been, were signed between March and now. I just think you have to look at those guys and think about it and think about where they would be if they were asking for a contract in January, in February, in March now, and how much more difficult it would be for them to ask for the numbers they got. And I just think it's such a good illustration of why. You know, players should push for money when they push to get paid early if they can and consider taking the money even if it's not at the very top of the market if they're in that position. I think these three guys are such a great example of that. Christian McCaffrey, George Kittle, Ronnie Stanley. At least with McCaffrey and Kittle, I think their teams might look at that after all this and say, I'm crossing my fingers that, that we wind up you know, being okay at this position going forward. I think Ronnie Stanley, you've seen the longevity of offensive linemen. They last a little longer. So I think you'd be okay there. I just, I mean, good on all three of those guys for getting paid when they did, because that money, if you get hurt, it's not like, you know, that contract offer. It's not like that offer they pushed across the table. It's not like that thing's still good after you get hurt. You can't get that money anymore. So like I said, I think, you know, it's just kind of a reality um, it just came clear to me over the weekend on the impact uh, that you know injuries have on the way that the business of football is conducted. Question, uh, takeaway number four, this is on the Houston Texans. Um, they fired their VP of communications, Amy Palsik, on uh, on Tuesday. And look, look, she's not somebody that many people had heard of um, until Wednesday morning. She is uh, like somebody that I've known going back to when she was in Cleveland um, with Romeo Cornell uh, during that era there with the Browns. Um, I think she's fantastic at her job. I think this is indicative of a couple things that I'd be really worried about if I was a Texas fan. Number one, where's ownership? Okay, look at the last few years. You had the Rick Smith, Bill O'Brien power struggle. Bill O'Brien wins that. Bill O'Brien hires Brian Gaines as general manager. A year later, the Texans hire Jack Easterby as EVP of Football Operations over Brian Gain. Obviously, that's going to create some issues, and it did. Brian Gain winds up getting fired. They try to hire Nick Casario. That doesn't work. They give O'Brien the GM title. The uh, feeling was like, oh, well, he's grabbing power. That wasn't what Bill O'Brien was doing. It was more the organization trying to say, okay, like now this is your responsibility. Uh, it was less than a year after that that he winds up getting fired. Now Jack Easterby is at the very top of the organization. Uh, to me, like it's such a great example of how, like how much ownership matters. And I think a team with strong ownership, this doesn't happen. You don't see this amount. You might see some of the movement. You don't see this amount of movement in an organization that's got strong ownership. And it goes back, I think, to what Bill Parcells used to tell all of his assistants. I just like Bill Bill Belichick and Sean Payton and Tom Coughlin, who he knew. We're going to wind up becoming head coaches. Be careful where you go. Be careful who you're working for. Make sure you're comfortable with ownership because it is the one thing you can't change. So Cal McNair very much now, a few years after his father passed away, 
I think all eyes need to be on him and the job that he's doing there. The second piece of this is going to be the fascinating story of Jack Easterby, if you guys don't know it. It really goes back to you know his time with the Kansas City Chiefs. He was the team chaplain there. They went through a horrible tragedy with Javon Belcher. Uh, Jack was 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 instrumental in helping them handle that. Because of the job he did there, Scott Peel, he recommends him to Bill Belichick. Bill Belichick brings him in. He helps the Patriots get through the Aaron Hernandez saga. Because of that, he rises within the ranks of the organization. People there did like him, you know, but always knew like he is grading us for Bill. So like there was the this is a guy who's done a lot for my family. This guy's this is a guy who's done something that's really nice for me personally. On the other side, he is sort of responsible for grading you. And, you know, as he rose through the ranks, you know, then sort of suddenly he hires an agent. Uh, he brings in the agent. Now, all of a sudden, he's flirting with teams about, you know, like, hey, could I rise up through the ranks football-wise? Planned on going to Indianapolis with Josh McDaniels. Had sort of tried to flirt with Carolina, Miami. Winds up in Houston. And the ascension of Jack Easterby is interesting uh, going forward because, like, who's going to want to work for him now? And can you find a general manager and a head coach who are going to trust him, who are going to believe, like, this guy is going to have my back? Um, and, you know, on the flip side of that, like, what does Jack's presence, like, like, what is Jack's presence going to bring you from a football standpoint? Like, we know some of the stuff he can do as far as building a culture and building relationships with people and all of that. I like, like from a football standpoint, what does this mean? So I think those are the two guys who are sort of on the spot here. And my understanding is like, I don't even think it was Jack Easterby. It was, my understanding was Jamie Roots um, that wanted the team president that wound up firing uh, Amy Palasik. Uh, but I do think because of the optics of all of this, Jack Easterby is very much sort of in the crosshairs now. And this is his show now. And then Cal McNair, I think as the team owner definitely deserves some scrutiny. Finally, my fifth takeaway for this week is, uh, I think that there is a subtle thing in the rules changes this week that, or the, uh, I'd say the proposals this week that got passed by ownership that everybody should be paying attention to that you might have missed. The owners this week basically okayed um, the league adding an 18th week if necessary. And they basically said, like, okay, like our goal is to play 256, 256 regular season games over 17 or 18 weeks. But if we can't do that, then and we lose meaningful games, then we're going to go on win percentage, and we're going to, and uh, we're going to go on win percentage, and we're going to uh, basically create a 16-team playoff. So, in doing so, the, one of the other things they voted through was that they would now be okay. Like we, we are comfortable going forward with. Maybe some teams played 14 games, some teams played 15 games, some teams played 16 games. So what can that tell you? Here's what that tells me. That tells me they do not want to go past 18 weeks. If they're passing all these things, they're passing resolutions to go to a 16-team playoff, if the regular season is cut short of 256 games for some reason, if they are voting to say it's okay if we don't get all 256 in, um, it's okay if some teams have played more games than others, so long as nobody plays more than 16. They're doing all of those things. That tells me that they want to get the game, the, the season played within, at most, 18 weeks, which tells me that finishing the season on time and having the Super Bowl on February 7th, 7th is a priority for the NFL. And so I think that that's, that I, I think that's an important read in all of this and the way the rest of the season is going to go. And I think that the goal right now for the NFL is to get the entire season played on time, have the Super Bowl played on time, and if they have to lose in regular season games, they're okay with that. And I think we saw really last week too where, you know, based on how the Niners-Packers situation played out, they're also comfortable playing games without star players. They're okay if a team's lost its left tackle. They're okay if a team's lost its quarterback. Now, could that reach a critical mass where there's a health and safety issue for someone and they've got to like, call off games? Sure, that's definitely possible. But if you think that a few star players being out for a week because of COVID is going to cause them to just blow up the model that they've spent all this time trying to preserve, I think you're wrong. So I think this week we got a window in how, into how important it is for the league to play the season within 17 or 18 weeks and how important it is as part of that for them to get the Super Bowl played on time. All right, we got our special guest coming up right after this. 
All right, we're going to welcome back in one of um, one of my favorite guests, one of the best draft analysts out there, um, and a guy we haven't had on for a while. But what I like to do in the middle of the season and uh, is we sort of have an idea now of who might be drafting high. We have an idea of where the college quarterbacks uh, stack up, and so I figured the time was right now to bring in ESPN's Todd McShay to discuss the the quarterback field, kind of where different teams are at, where each of these quarterbacks are. Um, and so always great to have you in, Todd. Uh, weird year, right? Like weird year to be evaluating all these guys too, I would think. It has been different, man. It really has. I mean, we, we were just talking about it, just the, you know, the travel and, and hotels and quarantines and testing, but, you know, just trying to keep everyone safe and, and honestly, just excited to, to be able to, to cover games and, to be able to go out and, and, and like be at the stadiums and and watch football, whether it's twenty thousand fans in the stands or one thousand, like it was last week at Cincinnati, or close to zero, like it will be with the uh, Notre Dame Boston College this week. It really, you know, it's different, but it doesn't matter. I'm just, I'm, I really, for the first time ever, I think I really appreciate. It. I, I guess I just got so used to it; it was the norm, yeah. and now seeing so many people that um that are you know having to cover games from home or mm-hmm. from like the bristol studios or charlotte and just being able to to get out there and, and like be in the stadium I, I really appreciate it more than ever yeah it's weird because like you know i i was thinking coming into the year like i was like it's gonna be really strange like i wonder if it's gonna be the same and like i like my main thing watching games this year whether it's the college games on saturday or for work on sunday is like I just I, I'm with you. I appreciate it. You know, like I'm like kind of like I'm just happy that I'm getting it. You know, absolutely. And, yeah. yeah. And I mean, we went so long without sports, right? Mm-hmm. And and to have it back and and that, look, every week is a challenge. And the SEC this week, there's so many, you know, like so many issues with multiple teams, and it sounds like almost half of the games might might wind up being postponed or canceled. So just just to be able to to be out of games, it's um. Uh, you know, it's take what we can get, right? Absolutely, absolutely. All right. Well, like I said off the top, we wanted to jump into the quarterbacks with Todd, and um, I don't think there's anywhere else we can start um, than than with Trevor Lawrence. Um, and so, you know, obviously he, you know, he went through the COVID thing the last couple of weeks. Um, a has he lived up to expectations in your mind? I think that that probably be an easy yes, but I want to hear it from you. Um, and then B. You know, when we talk about this, I, I, I've always, you know, like I, I try to kind of like look at my notes from year to year, and this sort of feels like Andrew Luck. Like this feels like the like this guy gets like the way people talk about this guy is just a little bit different. So, yep. a has he lived up to expectations, and b do you see him kind of put himself in that group now? Just a few games left in his college career. The really cool thing to watch, it with, and I'll say this for for Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields they've exceeded expectations and the expectations coming into the year were extraordinarily high, you know? And with Trevor, like, well, I had the first game of the year uh, of their season against Wake Forest and he was sitting in his car actually and called in and we had a production meeting with him for about 20, 25 minutes. And I remember talking to him when he was a freshman a little bit and the difference was remarkable. You know, he, he was always – he was respectful of Kelly Bryant because Kelly Bryant was the starter and then he wound up taking his job. Um, but, he, you know, he, he was kind of tiptoeing around being the leader and taking over that team. And then last year he came in with so many expectations coming off the national championship and had – I think it was eight interceptions in the first seven games and then kind of and settled down and didn't throw another interception for the last eight games, I think it was, of the season. And then with, this, with all of the, the social issues going on and, and his proactive approach with that and with other teammates on Clemson and just the way he handled himself. And, the, the, you know, it's easy during the COVID and all this time off and not being able to be in the building to slack off or, you know, go – go about your business but not not like accelerate but he had his foot on the gas the entire offseason from a leadership standpoint to a studying standpoint to like physically 
And then when I first saw him walk on the field and, and like the first five, six snaps of that Wake Forest game, I was like, this guy's different. You know, <laughs> you yeah. can see the maturation. He, what, whatever they were trying to do to, to him defensively, he knew ahead of time. He didn't have to. It wasn't the look at me over the sidelines. It was, I know what I'm doing. I'm going to set my protection. I'm going to change the protections. I'm going to go from right to left. I, I, he just, it, it looked so slow to him and so relaxed. It's kind of fun to watch a guy that you know is, you know, a five-star talent coming into Clemson. He's the best quarterback prospect they've had in years and all, you know, all the all the different noise. But then to see him put in the work and become the the man that he's become now is really cool. So do you think so then is he in that category? Do you look at him and I know you, you Yeah, know, he's, he's you're got about the my age. You didn't, you didn't evaluate Elway, but I mean no. no. Like the, the, the I, Manning, I, always, the, I always mess with typers. <laughs> I can't go back to <laughs> Burt Jones and, and John Elway, but but I can go back to 2012 and Andrew Luck. And that, that was the highest grade I've given to a quarterback, and, and this is the highest grade I've given since. And, and, and again, I, Justin Fields is rising rapidly. And, and there, mm-hmm. the, the other thing, too, is like the last few years, like Kyler Murray and, and some of the quarterbacks, like I think the culture has changed with the quarterback position. And how early they're starting to get developed. And I, I'm not in love with, you know, year-round playing playing football. I, I think you should play multiple sports. I think you should compete and go out and, and be, you know, be on different teams and, and everything else. But you can see how how much more developed these quarterbacks are coming out, and especially the last few years. It seems like it's, it's kind of changed. There's always going to be misses, but it's not 50-50 anymore. Right, right. So – all right, we're going to get to fields, but I want to do a quick exercise with, with Lawrence if you're game for this. And I, I like I'm doing this based on the premise that I think the to get the first pick, you're going to have to be two and 14. So that takes every team except for seven out of the running. The Bengals are two, five and one. Again, I don't think that they get there. So there are seven teams and I, I, I some of these will be easy. Some of them will be more difficult. But, Todd, if you're cool for this, we'll go rapid fire through them and yep. what you would do if you had the number one overall pick. And we're going to start with the Jets. What would you do? <laughs> this one actually <laughs> is the toughest one of all because I, I, Sam Darnold has one of the highest grades I've given to a quarterback in, in the last, I don't know, 10 years. Mm-hmm. I, I think he can be a great NFL quarterback. And, I, and when, he's, when he's healthy – when he's healthy, I think he can be like one of the top 10 quarterbacks, maybe the top five, six quarterbacks in the league. The problem is they, they haven't been able to protect him. They, they had weapons, but they, you know, injuries, trades, and everything else, else that has uh, gone on. I, I would struggle with this one the most, as I said. I, it, you have to be in the building to know what his confidence level is and what his, his durability level is. And if you're not comfortable with either of those, then then you move him on and maybe get an, an additional number one pick. They've got two two first rounds this year, two first rounders next year. Um, yeah. So th- I would I would take Lawrence if you're not comfortable with where he is mentally or physically. But if you feel great about where he is, then then trade out of that number one spot. Get my God! I mean, you could get, get a, a <laughs> ransom for this pick. Right. Yeah. So yeah. you're going to get another couple first rounders. Now you, you could have you could legitimately have six first round picks in a two year span, and now you could put a whole team around around um, Sam Darnold. So there, I, yeah, there's a there's a subtle thing here too that like I think people are missing. You got to make a twenty five million dollar decision on Sam Darnold this off season. Yeah. So and, and and so that's like like you have two years left on his rookie deal, and one of them now under the new CBA is going to be fully guaranteed at $25 million. So you have to make a two-year commitment. Then you're going to be paying him, if it works out, over $40 million a year, whereas with Lawrence, you get five years of cost control. Yes, yeah. And yeah. and it's no secret. I'm, I'm very close friends with Joe yeah. Douglas. We, we played football together in college. Um, but I I refuse to ask him these kind of questions <laughs> because it's it's not fair. But um, right. But no, knowing, knowing Joe and just, you know, just knowing the situation, I think they want to see how, how things play out the rest of the season. Um, and if they get an amazing deal to, to move out of that spot, I, I think they, they would entertain it. Uh, but they, it ultimately, uh, this is what it comes down to. 
where is Sam mentally and physically? Mm-hmm. If, if you think he's right and you think he's, he's ready to go, I think you stick with him and, and cash in on the fact that there are going to be multiple other teams trying to move up to that spot, and you're going to get an unbelievable deal to, to move back. Okay, Jaguars. I think this one's easy. Yeah, take them. <laughs> <laughs> Giants? I'm, don't even think about it. Uh, I would take him. I'm, listen, Dan, Daniel Jones is, is a, a good player. Um, I, I, I gave him a third-round grade coming out. Mm-hmm. I just I, I didn't think he was anywhere close to what uh, the Giants thought he would be. He's he's had some tough spots, you know, like it, it hasn't been perfect there either. But um, but I, I would easily move on from Daniel Daniel Jones, like in a okay. in a second. This is an interesting one, Cowboys. Oof. <laughs> like that one's tough because it's the money part of it. Like, you I, I can't take the money part of the, of the because equation because of the money. I would take Trevor. Yeah, because of the money, and because first of all, he is an upgrade. Let's just be mm-hmm. honest. Dak is a really good quarterback, and we know he can have success. But you get an upgrade, and you you save so much money on your cap for the next five years. Right. Okay. The next one is it's the Texans, but it's not the Texans because they traded that pick, and it's the Dolphins. The Dolphins. So, <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> what do the Dolphins do if they have the number one overall pick? Yeah. This one's tough too, right? Yeah, you're. I'm. I'm really pleased with you right now. Uh, <laughs> no, it sounded fair. easy. Yeah, I, no, I did seriously. give. I did give Todd fair warning here. It, it, it probably sounded like an easier exercise than it actually could be. Yeah, I didn't, was I, I didn't realize that. The, uh, There's the another tough teams. one coming down the pike too. Great, I can't wait. Uh, <laughs> I mean, you have to see. You have to see the rest of the season, right? Yeah. I mean, you, you got to see what what you get from Tua and and. The biggest thing with Tua is is the health, you know? Mm-hmm. And can he stay healthy? He, he really, if you go back and study high school and college, I don't think he stayed healthy for a full season. I know in, in college, you know, he's, he missed time every season. And, and in high school, he, he missed multiple games as well. So he just he, he has a smaller frame, and he has a tendency to, to take some hits. But if he, you know, if he can stay healthy and you have no concern about the hip and it's not affecting what he's doing, then I, I think you stick with him. And, and you know what? I, I love their staff. I think their yeah. coaching staff, I, I think uh, Chris Greer, their, uh, the, the GM who's making the personnel decisions. I think this is the first time I can legitimately say in a long time for the, the Dolphins that they are in good hands, like really mm-hmm. good hands. And and they'll make the right decision, but I, I would be surprised even if you know even if they had a shot at, at getting Trevor if if they went that way unless it was something medical that they knew behind the scenes that we're not sure of right now. Right. Okay. Washington. That's easy, right? Yeah, easy. Take him. Okay. Now the last take, one's take tough. him or take Justin Fields too. Okay. Okay. Last one's last one's a little more difficult. Chargers. Oof. <laughs> like that one, like that one that to be like tough. The, like the because, Dolphins and Chargers are really difficult. Yeah. Like, yeah, you know, uh, I, it, it, it's brutal because you because they have right, him so on the you know, like you know it's an upgrade with both these guys. The money isn't an issue either with Tua and it, Herbert. The, the, money, money's the not, money's not an issue. You know right. it's an upgrade, but you can surround those guys with a not huge a, amount. Of, it's, it's not a massive upgrade. And you've already brought in a rookie quarterback who's having a great year, despite despite the win loss record, and he's he's playing. He's so far exceeded my my expectations. Um, he looks you know, awesome. J- J- Justin Herbert has played really well this year, and I thought he was going to need time to develop and and you know kind of get into a system and maybe not even start the first year. But he's he you know he's done what he's done so. I, I don't think. I mean, if they're, I, they're not going to be at number one. I, I would be right. shocked if they're I, at number I, one. I would be too. But um, but if somehow, some way, they wound up at number one, I don't think they would make the move. And I could understand it because of how how he's played, and also, as you said, the money, and then what you could get for that number one pick to surround him. You know, mm-hmm. if you could move, if they were picking at one, and 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 other teams were trying to bid against each other. 
I mean, you're looking at probably two ones and a second or third round pick, some something in that range in the in the next two years. So you, yeah, now you can build a whole team around him. I and you've when you think of that Chargers team, already- he's your guy. Like everyone respects him. I just I, I would stick with what they have, which yeah. is shocking to me because if you ask me this. You know, in August, I would be like, yeah, Trevor over Justin every single day of the week. Right. Yeah. And it's crazy because you think about like the Chargers, like if they were in that position. And again, this is fantasy land. So I just put Todd in a tough spot for no reason. But because <laughs> I don't think it's going to happen either. I think the Chargers are going to wind up winning some games. But you look at that roster. It's like Joey Bosa, Derwin James, Mike Williams, Keenan yes. Allen. <laughs> like like you, you add then like a bounty of picks on top of it. It's like, wow. Like they could you really... Look- and I looked, I looked at it a couple of weeks ago, and I think every game that they've lost has been within one score. And mm-hmm. may, maybe not in the last couple of weeks, but when I, I did a, a, something for ESPN.com with the quarterbacks and the rookies and, and you know, how they're doing. And they, like, they're so close. They're, they just have to kind of learn how to win, but they're clearly like, they're right there. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's go through the other quarterbacks real quick before we get you out of here. How close is Justin Fields to Trevor Lawrence? You mentioned him with Washington. I, I think there are a couple teams there that would take him if they had the second pick. I think the Giants would think about it. I think the Jaguars obviously would take him. Um, how close do you think Justin Fields is right now to Trevor Lawrence? And and how about this is a question, too, because I've sort of like gotten this feeling, too. Would Justin Fields be the number one overall pick in some other draft classes? Absolutely. And, yeah. And there are some people out there that, that are not – yet sold on like, that it's clear-cut Trevor over over Justin. Um, I think I think he's still developing. Justin Fields is developing in terms of getting off that first read quickly and getting to the second and third. But I've seen so much improvement in that area because when he started the season last year in the beginning, it was stuck on the first read. If it's not open, then I'm tuck the ball and run, right? Mm-hmm. And he's he's a great athlete. He's strong. He's physical. He he can he can do that and get away with it. What he's learning, and he learned throughout the season last year. And what I, the biggest improvement I'm starting to see this year is processing things quicker, getting from A to B to C, and, and then you know making the right decision. The dude is he's completing. I think 86 percent of his throws. Yeah, more touchdown passes than incompletions, I think. It's ridiculous. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And, yeah, the level of competition every week hasn't been, you know, off the charts. But it's still, I mean, he is playing at a very high level. And he's he's playing. And the thing I love about it, too, is when all these guys were opting out and then opted back in when when the Big Ten came, he he didn't waver. He didn't waver at all. He stuck with his coach. He and Ryan Day spent hours and hours and hours working on his game and just in the hopes of potentially having a season. I mean, think about like a, a couple months ago, the Big Ten was out. It was over. They weren't right. playing. And and he didn't he, – he still stuck with it, which shows me like maturity, the loyalty, and also knowing that he can learn and that he had more to learn from Ryan Day, who's one of – in my opinion, one of the the best quarterback coaches and developers and teachers in college football. So it, I've been really impressed. I mean, who hasn't been? But anyone who's watched him, you can see him progressing. And I, it, as he continues to progress in terms of his, his processing and how quickly he sees things and, and, and can understand what defenses are trying to do and what he needs to do to counter that, uh, he's going to just put himself in a better position to succeed. I He's not Trevor Lawrence, but it's the the gap is bridged. It is not that far off, and it it won't shock me at all. I'll actually I'll be surprised if it's not Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields as number one, number two overall in this year's draft. Okay, so like, and it's interesting too. You mentioned that because it does feel like both Lawrence and Fields sort of found their voice as leaders with everything that happened yes. this year. And two of the guys that I think if we had like. I think if you had like asked somebody in June who has the most to lose and the least to gain by continuing to play, those two might have been the two, right? Yeah. Like, and those two never, never, they were gonna never. Be, they were going to be top ten picks regardless of like if they, if they didn't play a snap this year, they were. I mean, probably one like 
one in five, you know, in the first five picks, Trevor would, would have gone one and, and, and Justin would have gone the first five, six picks, somewhere in that, that range. Okay, so then I think the consensus next guy has been Trey Lance. How much does he lose um, by not really having played? He played the one game, but like by not really having played this year. Was that the strangest it, thing you've ever seen in college football? Bizarre. A, a, one, bizarre. a one game showcase game. Yeah, in the FCS. and it felt like they did it for him personally too. Didn't didn't it feel like it, they, that it was totally like, did, and all yeah. the pressure was on him. And he, to be honest, he didn't play well. Yeah. He competed his tail off. He ran and was was great in terms of extending plays and running. He didn't throw the ball well. He it it looked like he was, I don't know, Pressing? rusty, tight, nervous, whatever it was early on. And he, you know, he. He got better as the game went on, and and he found a way to win, which I appreciated. And I think he's so talented, I, I really do. But um, but it was just a tough spot to be in, really tough mm-hmm. spot. But um, yeah. Do you no, think the I, gap is the gap big from Lawrence Fields drop off? Is there is that a, is there a big drop off there? I think there's a, there's a little bit of a drop off, and then and then Zach Wilson from BYU. To so me, you think he's from caught. what I've seen, and I haven't studied every snap, but my right. goodness, and and he has, you know, he had a shoulder injury, a thumb injury before, but when he's healthy, he is. There's not a big difference between Lance and and Wilson, and then Mac Jones has has played right. unbelievably well, you know. And, and I was going to throw, I was going to throw Kyle Trask in there too from Florida. Trask has like, played really well too. I mean, he's he's number six. So you're looking at potentially five in the first round, but at least six in the first two of, yeah. of quarterbacks that have just played so well this year. You know, it's interesting too, because I like to look at like the Indianapolis's and the Pittsburgh's of the world where, you know, Indy obviously is in a tough spot because of the luck retirement a year ago. And then Pittsburgh, I mean, I, like they have to be like their radar has to be up this offseason, whether it's trading for somebody like Sam Darnold or taking one. Like This right. is a great development for some of those teams that are going to be drafting later on where, I think coming in, we probably felt like, okay, Fields or Lawrence Fields, Lance, and then we'll see. Now it feels like there's actually some real depth here. Yeah, that's why I'm excited now. It's because because Lawrence came in and has played better than, I don't know, not better than I expected, but he's improved his game. And we Mm -hmm. all knew how great he was coming into the season. Justin Fields has played better than than I expected, and, and he had an unbelievable. Uh, season last year Lance he's you know tough situation but he's he's obviously very talented and can be developed into a really good starting quarterback in the NFL and now Zach Wilson is playing at a high level Mac Jones is playing at a high level Kyle Trask is playing at a high level Kellen Mon from Texas A&M who drives me crazy studying on <laughs> tape because one one game or one series he he looks like he's going to be the ne- the next star quarterback in the class and then, the, you know, the next one, he, he's just he's making mistake after mistake. But this year, he's been more consistent and he's developed as well. So it's been like, like I said before, it's been really cool to see all of these quarterbacks in such a crazy year with such little support in terms of what what you can do in the building and, and with your coaching staff. And a lot of times just on Zoom versus being being in the, you know, in, in the offices to see the improvement that they made, it shows how hard they've worked, and and I think you're gonna, we're gonna wind up getting five, six guys that are either gonna be, you know, high level starters, or or at worst case, you know, good backups in the league, and and that's if you can get that from every quarterback class, it's really good. Yeah, and I'm really I'm super interested in Zach Wilson just because he just sort uh, of feels like this like comet. He's fun to <laughs> you know watch, what I mean? Man. Like right now, like he's fun to watch. He he just. <laughs> I just I love watching his game because he he just competes. He doesn't he he doesn't care at all. He lays it all out there. Uh, he's gonna have to learn to protect himself a little bit better. Yeah. But uh, but he extends plays. He can drive the ball down the field. He has he doesn't have a great arm, but he has adequate arm strength. But he throws the ball well off platform when you know when he's on the move when things are crazy. He kind of embraces chaos. He, he kind of loves when the the play breaks down and he can just go sandlot it and it's it's fun to watch and that and we're seeing so much more of that in the NFL now than we ha- ever have before. 
Yeah, it's like the Mahomes effect. Like I've heard some people compare like Wilson to Mahomes. I know, and I, I know he does, he doesn't have like the physical traits. There that are Mahomes flashes, has. but I you said yeah. it, not me. That way I don't, <laughs> I don't have to deal with all the. <laughs> you can't. I mean, you can't say Mahomes if right. you mention you Mahomes, you're going to get murdered, right? Right. On social right, media. Right. Um, Absolutely. But there, there are. It, okay, so when I was evaluating Mahomes coming out of school, yep, it was terrible technique, drifting moving out of the pocket when he didn't need to off balance throws sidearm at some points. And that, like, I was just like X's X's X's. And then all of a sudden the, the ball would land 50 yards down the field, perfectly placed and touched out. Like how, so, how did he do that? And at first I didn't like him and it took, it took watching game after game after game to understand that his game is just different than everyone else's. Yeah, you know? I had so so I had like a um so I did a pod with with Brett Veach over the summer and he talked about the LSU game. I guess it was the end of uh, Mahomes' sophomore year, the Texas yep, Bowl, yep. I think it was. Yep. And um so like I there was a college scouting director who listened to the podcast and he said to me like as an exercise he went back um and he looked at the LSU game. And he was like, my God, like, like, how did I miss this? And so I went back then and I didn't watch the whole game, but I went and saw like the 10 minute like highlight yeah, like, yeah. package on YouTube or whatever. Like, holy crap. It's some of the stuff he did in that game was just unbelievable off the charts. And, it was, oh. and it's the, the thing is like the mechanics were so sloppy and the decisions yeah. were so questionable. <laughs> But, but it probably like changes the, the way you evaluate. Were ridiculous. Yeah, and it probably I would think for somebody like you is probably like gets you to kind of like look at guys a little differently because he's ha it has translated right. Like, I, I mean, I just completely agree. I yep. Ky Kyler Murray was the same way. Like it wasn't all. I don't know that quarterbacks are. We all have to evolve, right? The game yeah. is evolving. We have to evolve with it. And and Mahomes was probably the best exercise in terms of evolving as an evaluator for me because I, I and I'll never forget I I I it was like ah second round grade you, you know like I would take him but I'm not sure he's going to be a starter there's just so much work to do um and 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 Kevin Weidel who worked with me for 10 years who now is a, a scout for the Ravens he said go back and watch two more games you haven't you haven't watched enough yet I was like ah just uh, and he's like do it. I'm telling you. And, uh, and <laughs> that was the moment where I was like, oh, first of all, Kevin, Kevin knows the stuff. Second of all, I, I, I missed, you know, I just, I didn't yeah. want, I, I hadn't seen enough to understand. And, and I, you have to look, look at it from a different lens. It was, yeah, he's, he kind of changed everything in terms of how yeah. I look at quarterbacks. It's not about the mechanics anymore. It's about the results. Yeah. It's interesting. Cause I, I remember hearing like, you know, when I was doing some work on on Mahomes before the Super Bowl and everything else, I like, I like, I heard Sean Payton stood on the table for Patrick Mahomes, and if they hadn't taken, if if the Chiefs hadn't gotten up to ten, because yep. that was Veach's information, if they hadn't gotten up to ten, which his information was, I need to get in front of the Saints who were picking eleventh. Right. And the Saints nailed their right. draft pick. They wound up with Marshawn Lattimore. Veach is so uh, he's so underrated, man. He, <laughs> right. He's but, like, he, but you know, but can you can you imagine that though? If like Sean Payton had gotten his hands on. <laughs> Patrick uh, Mahomes. I mean, it would, it would be the same thing that we're seeing in Kansas City. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. But the the other thing is, Veach made the decision basically on Mahomes after that LSU game. So a year yeah. earlier, like they yeah. they knew in the building that if they had a chance a year earlier, which is remarkable to me. You know, <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. I mean, that's why they are where they are. So, yep. um, all right. Well, I appreciate the t all the time before I get you out of here, just because of everything going on. Um, and I remember the reason I thought of this is the last time I asked to have you on is when I found out that, that, that you had COVID-19 before the draft. Um, I just want to kind of like ask you about your experience and what that was like. And obviously I think, you know, like a lot of us, you take a ton of pride in what you do and it sidelined you for a critical, critical part of, you know, yeah. your, your, ca your calendar, um, kind of like what your experience was like and what you'd say to people about, you know, what you went through, um, you know, as our country kind of continues to grapple with this and as you deal with like kind of the fallout on a, on a day-to-day -day basis in your job. Uh, it was brutal. It, it was, it was really hard. It was the, the first year that I was allowed to be on, on the set you know the the first night of the draft so it was, it was my 
I've been doing this for 20 years and um, kind of building up to get it. You know, that's if you have a goal in your career, my goal is to, to be on that first night of the draft. Yeah. And um, and I got sick the week before and and it, it just it, it was it, it's hard to explain. It was a dark place, like just tired all the time waking up thinking it was like an hour later and it was like 13 hours later not knowing if it was like seven o'clock at night or four in the morning you know um yeah and then go, i was wound up in the hospital for five days and you know i don't want to turn this into a depressing thing it was, just, it was hard so i i just and it, i'll say this my doctor dr mitchell was um she was unbelievable and, and took great care of me but um she was she was working like around the clock shifts and would come in and be like, you know, you I know you have it bad, but your case is mild compared to a lot of other people. We have people dying and, you know, intensive care and everything else. So as, as tough as it was, um, I just I can't imagine having it any worse than I did. So I, I feel horrible for everyone who gets it and and it's obviously spiking again now and, and it's, it's tough to see. And I just, I hope every, you know, everyone's just got to just wear your mask, be smart, keep distance. And we got, we got to get rid of this thing because it's, it's gone on too long and it, it, it's affected so many things. And it like the travel right now is just, it's brutal. And there, like, there's no social interaction and, you know, you have kids, I, I've got little kids yeah. and it's tough to see them have to deal with all of this stuff and not be able to play team sports. You know, like, yeah. you know, I, I, I can't sign my kids up for like soccer or football or, you know, anything. So it's just, it's tough. Yeah. I mean, it was, it's always been I, like, I almost think like the kids have handled it better than the adults. Like, I know. Right. You know, I throw my kid, I, 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 I like, if you, if you'd asked me in March, like, are you going to be able to put, you know, masks on Steve and Drew and make, make them wear them around in school and in sports? Like, will they do it? I would say hell no. Like, there's no way that, but they've been fine. But they are. You know yeah. I mean? it's, like, yeah. It's, it's what they know. Yeah. Yeah. Which so, is, all right. It's, it's sad, but it's, um, but you know, the res- resiliency is pretty impressive. Absolutely. All right. Well, we're glad that you're doing better, Todd. And um, yeah, God, like, this I'm, has got to feel. This has got to feel. This this has got to feel great. That like you know the idea, like uh, that you're going to be able to you know cover this going forward. And yeah, I mean, I like you're probably even more looking forward to the next draft cycle than than you normally. Yeah, would I never worked harder in the summer in my life because I was just I was to be honest, I was just pissed off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was pissed that I missed this. So I was gonna I was gonna make sure the next the next year I I was gonna be on top of my game. So. Yeah. And I'm sure, and we're sure you will be. All right. He's Todd McShay from ESPN. Todd, always appreciate the time. You got it, bud. All right. Well, thanks to Todd. That was fantastic. And in coming off of his personal story and an effort not to make everything about COVID 19 going forward, we're going to bring in our guy, Michael Fabiano. The original Stardom Sidem uh, columnist, twenty-year-old uh, Stardom Sidem column, runs on SI.com every week. And Fabs, like I said, we want to start in a non-COVID nineteen you know, note. I know we've started with COVID nineteen almost every week the last few weeks, um, but man, it's been interesting watching the rookie quarterbacks now. You know, and um, at first it was Burrow. You know, then you know I, I think Herbert was sort of a revelation to everybody. Mm-hmm. Now it's Tua. Um, from a fantasy perspective, what are you seeing from these three guys? How could you leave Jake Luton off the list, Albert? I mean, <laughs> yeah. it's been er- who needs a preseason, right? So with with Herbert, he's become a, almost a must start every single week. Mm-hmm. The thing is that a lot of people already had a really good quarterback before they picked up Herbert. Like, yep. I'll tell you this: if I've got Herbert and Lamar Jackson, Lamar Jackson's on my bench, or I'm trying to trade him. He's yeah. been the biggest bust in fantasy football so far uh, this season. Herbert's averaging over 24 fantasy points a game. That is crazy and unheard of for yeah. a rookie quarterback, right? And then Tua came out, and he had that staker in his first start, but it was basically because the Dolphins' defense and special teams took care of the Rams by itself. Last week, over 20 fantasy points against Arizona. Now he's got the Chargers. And you don't think these two quarterbacks are going to be motivated to face one another, right? Miami was picking right ahead of the Chargers in the draft. Right. They took Tua, the Chargers took Herbert. Both guys are going to want to go out there and prove that their teams made the right decision. So both are very solid plays. Joe Burrow, 
I don't like the matchup this week against Pittsburgh, but Burrow's been very good. I mean, yeah. looking at his numbers, he has shown some flashes. He's averaging nearly 19 points per game. And, and then, you know, you talk about Jake Luton. I didn't see that coming. I don't think anybody did. He's got Green Bay this week at Lambeau Field. We'll see if he can do it again. But you really have to wonder because from a fantasy standpoint, Albert, for years and years and years, unless a guy could run with the football, okay, uh, he wasn't going to make much of an impact as a quarterback in his first NFL season. You know, we saw Russell Wilson and Dak Prescott and Robert Griffin III and Cam Newton. There's been a bunch. Vince Young, you go back. As long as you could run with the football, you had a shot to make an impact as a rookie. Justin Herbert can run with the football. He's not Lamar Jackson, though. You know, Burrow, same kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Tua can run with it a little bit as well. But these kids are coming out and just playing at a high level. Maybe it's because they're playing uh, pro-style offenses in college. And maybe the transition's not as as huge as it's been in the past. But they're coming right in and putting up numbers. Uh, I would start Tua this week. I'd start Herbert this week. Burrow's more of a 2QB league guy because of the matchup. I don't know if I'm starting Luton. I want to see him do it on the road and uh, against Aaron Rodgers. That might be tough, but rookie quarterbacks have really made an impact. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. And you look at like the next group too. I mean, that's what we were talking about with Todd McShay a minute ago. And it's it's crazy to think, you know, next year this time it'll be all those guys. I know. It'll be Trevor Lawrence. And it'll be Justin Fields. And it'll be Trey Lance. And it'll be Zach Wilson. And so is it's just there, sort is, of an exciting time. You is know, is there any chance that Trevor Lawrence goes back to school if the Jets have the number one oh, pick? Oh God, I don't know. I mean, the God, would that be painful? <laughs> like, what is this? Like, this would be twenty four years after the same thing happened to them with Peyton Manning. Mm-hmm. Um, that that would happen again. That would be that would be bananas. Um, yeah, it would be. So, all right. So we're gonna get into our DFS, uh, the our bargains and fades presented by DraftKings for Week Ten. Again, thank you to DraftKings for being a part of all of this, bringing Fabs to us on a week to week basis. So, as far as your bet bargains and fades, what do you got for us this week, Fabs? All right, we'll start off with the quarterbacks and Tua at fifty six hundred dollars. I'd play him. Drew Locke has been good two straight weeks. He's got the Raiders this week at $5,500 in that same game. Uh, Derek Carr's only $5,400. That's pretty good. And the matchup is right against Denver. At running back, Antonio Gibson's a good play at $5,600 against Detroit. Assuming David Johnson is out, Duke Johnson in a revenge game against the Browns at $5,000. And then Mike Davis might be the bargain of all bargains because DraftKings uh, produces those salaries, well, early in the week, okay? And Christian McCaffrey was maybe a question mark, but they they valued him much higher than Mike Davis, who now looks like he'll be the starter, $4,000. That's pretty good. Uh, Jerry Judy's at $5,600. Nelson Aguilar, wide receiver at forty nine, And Curtis Samuel, who's been the best Carolina Panthers wide receiver in the last three weeks uh, at 49, is a pretty, good, a pretty good number. At tight end, keep tabs on Austin Hooper. He's coming off the appendectomy. He's missed some time, but if he's back this week at $3,900, he is a very good play. And if you are in a redraft league and you need a tight end, if he's out there, go get him. Robert Tunyon, who actually was better when his last name was being pronounced Tanyan, but whatever, the matchup's good against the Jaguars. And then Logan Thomas is a good play uh, at $3,300. The, the players to fade this week. Teddy Bridgewater was great last week. I was wrong about him. Uh, but against the Buccaneers, who will be salty at $6,100, bucks, i am going to pass on him. Same thing with Matthew Stafford against Washington at 58 And then I talked about Joe Burrow at $5,700 is a fade for me. At running back, Joe Mixon, the matchup's not great. And we expect him to be back this week. But at $6,100, uh, that, that's a high cost for Joe. Uh, Jarek McKinnon is a little bit too rich for my blood at $5,600 against the Saints. Same thing with DeAndre Swift, who... He can't separate himself in that backfield from Adrian Peterson, and I don't know that he's going to because uh, Peterson's not going away. At $5,100, I'd pass on him. Uh, At wide receiver, Mike Evans is a fade at $6,300 because I don't know who's going to get the targets on a week-to-week basis in Tampa Bay. I don't know that anybody does. Uh, DJ Chark and DJ Moore, both fades for me. Chark is only a fade because I fear Jair. And if Alexander is back from the concussion, I would fade Chark. If Alexander is inactive this week, then uh, Chark has more value. At tight end, Jared Cook, Mike Gesicki, and Hunter Henry all fades for me based on the matchups and or the price tags uh, that they come along with. It's actually interesting too. Like, How much do you take into account? Like like you said, like the, the you know when you were talking about the Bucks, mm-hmm. like how much do you take that into account when you're looking at these things? Because... 
you know, I like I would think like, you know, that's sort of like an intangible thing. Like there's it's not like that's like an analytical thing, you know, but right. like the idea that like a defense can bounce back like that. Like like how much is it how much do you think it's smart to take those things into account? I think you have to. You know what, Albert? And you know this, man. The week the NFL's a week to week league, dude. Yeah. Like Tom Brady sucked last week and it has nothing to do with the fact that you should start or sit him in, in, in the following week. And I would think, even though the matchup's not really great on paper, I think Tom Brady's going to be pissed, man. And yeah. he's, he's going to want to come out and put up a, a much better number. Let's put it that way. So don't look at last week's data uh, as a be-all, end-all. Let's put it that way. I'll give you an example, okay? The way that you look at the data is, uh, well, holy cow, look at the snap total in Seattle. Uh, suddenly it was Travis Homer who had more snaps and the touches were split. So Homer played a bigger role in Seattle's backfield last week without Chris Carson and Carlos Hyde. You look at that data. Okay. You look at the yeah. fact that Jordan Wilkins has been playing more snaps and getting more touches than Jonathan Taylor or Naheem Hines in Indianapolis's backfield. You look at that. When a guy has a staker or a guy has a big game, guys, that doesn't mean that he's going to do that again the following week mm-hmm. because we're in a week to week league. And Tom Brady, as I mentioned, the matchup's not great this week. You don't think Tom Brady's pissed. You don't think Tom Brady wants to come out and have a big game. You don't think the Buccaneers defense is embarrassed. And if they're not, they should be because they got boat raced on their own field on national television by the one team who could potentially knock them out in that NFC South. Right? So I look at that. And if I'm a Bucs defensive player, I'm motivated this week to come out and show we had a bad week last week, but we're a good defense. Absolutely. All right. So as we said off the top, as we say every week, this is the original stardom sit column author across the country, 20 years, still, still, still rolling along. Um, now on SI.com, be sure to check out Fabs' stardom sit column uh, this week. Fabs, what you got for the people? Yeah, make sure you're checking it out again, SI.com slash fantasy. If you want to be told to start uh, Darren Waller and Stefan Diggs, then go uh, to one of those other uh, <laughs> columns because uh, those don't help you at all. Uh, I'm starting Herbert and, and Tua this week. I'm starting Big Ben, but he's on the COVID list. Keep tabs on his status, of course. Uh, Jared Goff is a really good play this week against Seattle, and I mentioned Derek Carr is a good play against Denver. Uh, at the running back position, start Antonio Gibson against the Lions, Mike Davis against the Bucks. Chase Edmonds, assuming Kenyon Drake is not playing this week, the volume was there. He had 66 snaps in almost 30 touches. Didn't really do much with him, but uh, volume is king in fantasy football. J.K. Dobbins is a play for me against the Patriots. Uh, Daryl Henderson against the Seahawks is an RB2. At wide receiver, Cooper Cup is the wide receiver 24 right now, Albert. I mean, that's not that all, all that good, uh, but he's a must-play against Seattle. Uh, Robert Wood's pretty obvious there. You're going to play him. Travis Fulgham is a stardom against the Giants. So is Brandon Cooks, Deontay Johnson, and all of the Steelers' wide receivers, assuming Big Ben is back from COVID. Uh, Jarvis Landry is also a nice wide receiver three this week at tight end. TJ Hawkinson's had a nine-point floor. He's averaging nearly 13 points per game. He's a very good play. Dallas Goddard, Austin Hooper, both guys who might be on the waiver wire in some less competitive leagues, and I really like them this week. Uh, again, assuming Hooper is back. Eric Ebron's a good play. Once again, keep tabs on Big Ben. Uh, sit him quarterbacks this week. Cam was great last week, but that was the Jets, and they stink. Uh, the Ravens don't stink. I'm sitting Cam Newton. I'm sitting Ryan Tannehill on Thursday night against the Colts. Joe Burrow has got a bad matchup in Pittsburgh. Kirk Cousins was very good last week from a fantasy perspective. 13 completions, three touchdowns. That's not going to happen very often. It won't happen against Chicago and Phillip Rivers. Also a fade at running back, DeAndre Swift, Jonathan Taylor. Devin Singletary is losing that job in Buffalo's backfield to Zach Moss. Uh, Jarek McKinnon, I mentioned. And then DJ Dallas, once again, you look at the data there, more Travis Homer, maybe Carson and or Hyde will be back this week. Uh, at wide receiver, DJ Chark with Jair Alexander active as a fade. Without Play him. Devontae Parker's got a tough matchup this week against the Chargers. Marvin Jones Jr. against Washington, tough matchup. Hollywood Brown at this point, I'd probably drop him. I mean, every week we're waiting for this guy to do something, yeah. and that Baltimore Ravens passing game has been dreadful. Uh, Darius Slayton's a fade, and then at tight end, Hunter Henry's probably hard to bench. He's not done anything lately. Uh, Justin Herbert's looking to Keenan Allen almost exclusively, and then Mike Davis as well. Uh, this is, uh, excuse me, Mike Williams as well. Uh, Jared Cook is a fade for me with Michael Thomas and Emmanuel Sanders back. Jimmy Graham, a fade off a big game. Uh, and Tyler Higby has become not startable and maybe even waiver wire fodder. Uh, in Los Angeles, 
which that goes to show you, Albert, you can never overrate a player based on a four or five game small sample size at the end of a previous season, because in all likelihood, uh, that player is not going to duplicate that high level of success. And Higby is the poster child for that. All right. That's why he's the best. He fired through all of those names for you. Your DFS bargains and fades presented by DraftKings. Your stardom sit-ems for week 10. Can't believe it's already week 10. Yeah. And you can find the rest of those at SI.com. He's Michael Fabiano. Fabs, thanks for coming out. You got it, my brother. All right. Thanks to Todd. Thanks to Fabs. Both those guys, fantastic as always. We'll jump right in the six-pack. You guys know how this works. Every week I put the call out for questions on Twitter. I pick six. If I pick yours, that means you get a like and you get an answer here on the podcast. And if you're not one of the six, I may answer your question in the mailbag or the video mailbag. As for the questions we're getting to here in the six-pack, question number one comes from Tamara LaBear. That's the LaBear Agency at PHP Agency. Is it time for the Lions to part ways with Matt Stafford? And if so, where do you see him landing? The Bears have had ties in recent weeks. Number one, I don't think they trade him in the division. Number two, I don't think they're trading him, period. Um, and look, because we don't know who the general manager, who the coach is going to be, whether it's going to be Matt Patricia and Bob Quinn or others, in 2021, I think it's difficult to answer that question definitively. That said, um, he's still only 32 years old. I still think you've got a team that you can probably turn around fairly quickly um, if it doesn't happen the rest of this year. And then they've got foundation pieces like Kenny Galladay, like TJ Hawkinson, like Taylor Decker, like Jeff Okuda. I think they've got a solid core of guys that you can look at and say, the turnaround doesn't need to be long and arduous. We can make this happen pretty quickly. And I think having Matt Stafford still in the prime of his career as a part of that, unless there's a medical reason, why not? I don't see any reason why you pull the plug on Matt Stafford right now. Question number two from King Fudge. That's at King Fudge three. I know Jerry Jones said Dallas won't draft a quarterback with an early pick, but if they have a chance to get fields, probably not Lawrence, it makes too much sense to rebuild the quarterback with a low cost QB, right? I'd say right. Yes. I do. I, I, I think if they had a chance to draft Lawrence or Fields, it would have to be a serious consideration, as we spoke with Todd about, because of the financial piece of the equation here. And I think Lawrence and Fields both have a chance to be better players than Dak in the long run, too. And so that's got to be part of the equation. I don't think you make a purely financial decision and take somebody who you think is a little lesser than Dak. And so I think once you get past the Lawrence Fields level, you go with what you know, you go with what you feel strongly about, and that's sticking with Dak Prescott. But I think for prospects level of Fields and Lawrence, if for some reason they were picking first or second, which I don't think they will be, then you know I think you have to consider it. I think the more likely scenario is they're drafting an offensive lineman somewhere in the first round um, to try and help Dak Prescott. Question number three, this is from Matt Ramis. That's at Matt underscore Ramis. In your opinion, which coaching staff has done the best job so far in navigating through the pandemic? I think most of the coaching staffs have done a really good job based on the circumstances. They've had to adapt to a lot. When I talked to Dr. Alan Sills about this on Saturday night, he said that they most, just about everybody's been cooperative and helpful in trying to make the protocols work. I think the groups that I would point out in particular, I mean, I think, you know, you look at like a Brian Flores in Miami where they were a hot spot for a while and they avoided enormous widespread problems. I think you give him credit for that. Um, Joe Judge in New York establishing a new program, being tough with his guys. But but following the protocols and being creative in the way they set up their training camp, they actually did their meetings um, in space in their stadium because that would allow them to be more spread out. I think you got to give him some credit. The coaches in California, Sean McVay, Anthony Lynn, and Kyle Shanahan, the rules are way more restrictive out there. So I think those guys deserve credit. So there are individual guys I think you can pick out for, for different reasons. I think it's hard to say who's done the best job, but there are some staffs that I think have been faced with some challenging circumstances that deserve credit for navigating those. Question number four from Deshaun, that's at Deshaun Static underscore. Are there rumblings of potential Sam Darnold landing spots? San Francisco seems like a real no-brainer due to fit with Kyle Shanahan. I'd agree with you on that, Deshaun. And I think there are a handful of teams you can look at where at least just if you're putting one piece together with the next, it would make some sense. So San Francisco's one and Denver's two. 
Um, I think Denver, and this is in no particular order, Denver would be a second team. Denver actually considered taking him in 2018. If he had fallen to the fifth pick, I believe he would have been their pick um, there. So Denver would be another one if they're not sure about Drew Locke after this year. Chicago would be a third team I would look at that's sort of interesting. Um, the Indianapolis Colts would be a fourth team for obvious reasons. You know, they're still sort of dealing with the fallout from the Andrew Luck retirement. And then how about the Pittsburgh Steelers, a team that is going to have to find an answer quarterback going forward that probably won't be picking very high over the next few years. To me, like a team like that makes all the sense in the world. So there are five teams for you right off the bat that I think would make some sense for Sam Darnold if the Jets wind up with the first pick, draft Trevor Lawrence, and trade Darnold elsewhere. Question number uh, five from RB, that's at sports underscore fiend. Which team do you think the has the best chance of a strong second half of the season to make the playoffs that isn't in the playoff picture today? I still think that, like, I still sort of have my eye on the Chargers. I know we've been talking about Anthony Lynn's job security, where they go going forward. Um, they've been so close on so many different occasions, and you wonder, like, could they break through and win, you know, six of their last eight? And now two and six turns into eight and eight. And now, because, you know, the AFC playoff picture has been a little muddled and you have seven teams getting in this year. Maybe they wind up being the seventh team. It's not impossible to see that. So I didn't want to give you guys a team that's like just sitting at 500. I wanted to look at a team that's sort of underperformed based on its talent. It has a chance to ascend based on its ceiling. I think Justin Herbert gives him the ceiling. He's got the talent around him to get it done as well. Finally, question number six from not who I think I am, not who you think I am. That's at Don Rittenauer, our buddy. He asked the first player in this year's draft to be taken that's not a quarterback. Don, I'm going to give you a boring answer, and that is, I think, it's an answer I feel really good about, though. That's Oregon left tackle Panay Sewell, or Panay Sewell, sorry, I don't want to mispronounce his name, Panay Sewell, who um, I believe just turned 20. Um, I have to look that up again, but I believe he just turned 20. He is seen as a once in every three or four year offensive line prospect. Turned 20 on October October 9th. That means he's going to be making his NFL debut at 20 years old. Um, I think that there is a good chance that when we get to April, the draft goes Lawrence Fields Sewell. So that would be my guess right now. Last year, we nailed that, by the way. Last year, um, you know, we ba- like basically said at the, this was, I think, yeah, this was like right at the, during the national title game, like that it was already lock, stock and barrel burrow to Cincinnati, chase young to Washington. Didn't take a brain surgeon to predict that, but we did nail that one. So I think right now this is early subject to change, but right now I would say the likelihood is it goes Lawrence one, Fields two, Sewell three. Appreciate you guys coming out. I know we've made changes over the course of the last year and they seem to keep coming. I'm grateful that you guys are sticking with us and I want your feedback. We need your feedback. Your feedback really helps us. We will apply any feedback that you get to what we do and you guys know where to get to me. You can get to me on my social channels at Albert Breer on Twitter, at Albert R. Breer on Facebook, at Albert underscore Breer on Instagram. Or, and this is preferable, you can get to us on iTunes, leave a rating, leave a review. Because of all the algorithms on there and all the stuff I don't really understand, that actually winds up helping us in the long run. So that's what you can do for me as we continue to tweak and adjust the show as we go. And you guys should be listening to all the MMQB shows, which we're on different feeds now, so it's a little more difficult. But all you got to do is hit the subscribe button three times. There's the MMQB podcast, which is the Gary Grambling, Gambling, Mitch Goldich, all the, the the Mishmash podcast feed, which you know gets you more than once a week. The Weekside Podcast with Connor and Jenny, uh, which drops earlier in the week than mine. And then, of course, my podcast, The Albert Breer Show. You can get us on Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, wherever you guys get your shows. We're there, same time next week. We'll see you guys then. Yeah.